Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT here in studio with Bobby today as we're getting back into the rhythm the rhythm of being in studio, where me and Bobby can take our masks off in studio because we're both vaccinated, fully vaccinated, and who the hell who has a platform like this isn't going to recommend everybody get vaccinated. That's the whole reason I couldn't be in studio for almost a year. Now we're here. You better believe I'm hoping you got vaccinated, especially here in Vegas with the army of people who are coming to this town and getting off airplanes. Do the right thing. I hope, Bobby, you too. I hope everybody had a great Father's Day out there. For all the dads out there, I hope you had a beautiful Sunday. It was an amazing sports day. I mean, it was one of those documentary days from the morning with the Euros and soccer all the way to the Golden Knights, two NBA playoff series, the U.S. Open with John Rahm. It was magical. What a day. If your dad is not with us anymore, I'm Hoping you found the peace to think of your dad at a private moment. Get your family together. I was able to FaceTime my dad back in New York. And he had a great time with his other grandsons and talking to my grandsons. So it was a great day Sunday. Really got a chance to relax. I went on the air last night, as I always do on Sunday night. So I'm all prepped up. I'm all ready to go. Quick reminder, the Raiders are on vacation now. This is Raider Nation Radio. I do a talk show. I have some Raiders content for you. Doug Jolly will join us. Played tight end for the Raiders in the Super Bowl. We'll have Doug on. Vinny Bonsignor wrote an amazing column. I'm going to get into that. But I'm a talk show host. I'm talking about the NBA, the Golden Knights, the Raiders, and everything, because that's what I do. And it's the best type of radio. Because if we don't have a lot of great content, and the Raiders are all gone on vacation, and the building is almost locked up, I'll be doing the show from there tomorrow. I'm emceeing a rugby event at Allegiant Stadium. Big announcement coming up on that. So I'll be out at the stadium, and then I'll slide over to Henderson, host the show from there tomorrow with a couple of guests. And for every Raider fan, this is my 23rd season with the team. 23 years coming up with the Raiders. I've done this before. I know what I'm doing. I know what the news is. I know what the gossip is. I know who's going to make the team. I got a pretty good understanding of everything that's going to happen at the stadium and how you're going to have the best year of your life going to Allegiant Stadium. Hopefully more wins and losses, which I think will be the case. And if you got anything you want to talk about on the Raiders, anything, depth of the offensive line, coaches and all that, I got it. But I'm not going to force shovel it down your throat here while they're all on vacation. Gruden's gone. They're all gone. Coach is gone. They're all in Maui. They're going away. They're playing golf. They're going back to where they really live, where their homes are if they're not here in Vegas. It's quiet time. People go on vacation, and then football starts up for training camp, and it never turns off. Six days a week for me, probably seven days a week for you. And we're here, and we're nonstop. Two shows a day, pre- and post-game show on Sunday, TV shows, and a new podcast that that I'm going to be hosting which is really different and really cool and way outside the box. And when you find out about it, I hope you download it. Uh, That announcement will be coming here pretty shortly. I reached out to Vinny Bonsignor today because Vinny wrote a great column on the Raiders, and he talked about training camp being next. 
as the Raiders wrap up OTAs. And I told Vinny, hey, Vinny, I'm going to drive everybody to your show at 4 o'clock because you wrote the column. I just read the column today. Now, I get the newspaper still. They deliver it, Bobby, to my – if they don't put it in my sprinklers, it might usually get the newspaper every day when I'm done walking the dog. I am now setting the alarm at 6.30 in the morning to walk the dog over at the Gardens Park with all the old ladies and friends that love my dog because it's just too hot. We live on Mars, or Mercury, is it? And it's just incredible what the weather is like here. Unbelievable. And now if we drop four or five degrees, we feel like, <laughs> we feel we feel thrilled. So up in the morning and to read Vinny's column online and to talk about what's happening here with the Raiders going forward, I'm, I'm excited because Vinny has tremendous access to this team. He knows the team as good as anybody. And there's some good Raider beat riders out there that I really respect. And Vinny's got really good access. And as the Raiders wrapped up OTAs, he did a deep dive on it, and it was a good one. And basically, what we're starting to see is everybody's on board. There's no drama. Do you remember Antonio Brown and the frozen feet? I was there for that up in Napa. No one planned on it being dramatic. He showed up in a hot air balloon. I was there that day. Wow, there's a hot air balloon here. He's coming in on a hot air balloon, and then he never wanted to play because he was mentally unstable. Like Kyrie Irving, I've told you, for a while, is mentally unstable. So when you start bringing in mentally unstable people to sports, there's a couple of things that could happen. If you can keep their mental instability under control, you might have the best player in the league. Antonio Brown ended up winning a Super Bowl, by the way. Or Kyrie Irving could be unbelievable and great. But when those guys are not stable, they can train wreck your franchise. And they could put your, your franchise back and really cause dysfunction. So we know this to be true. We know this to be accurate. There's no drama in the Raiders. When was the last time that happened? I mean, think about it. When was the last time? Coach gets fired. New coach gets hired. Coordinator gets let go. New one comes in. That's a level of drama. Players, contract is up. Trent Brown's a bum, a bust. There's always drama. None right now. None. Everything seems to be really mellow and really good. Everybody's showing up on time. Everybody is is available. Everybody is pretty much healthy, pretty much. So everybody's looking around saying, wow, this is pretty cool. The Raiders look like there's no backstories. Everybody's quiet. We all know the... Depth chart, if you don't, just call me. I'll tell you who's going to start at every position. Now, there will be some competition because Gruden made it clear in his last press conference that I don't care where you were drafted in the secondary. Ooh, that was good. That was good. That was Gruden basically saying, I'm not talking as much as I've done in the past. I don't care who's here. The best players are going to start. Well, what does that mean? Sense of urgency? Yes. Uh, John Gruden wanting to have the best players out there. That should always be his goal. But when Gruden took over this team and tore it down and rebuilt it in the liking of the players he wanted, we all knew that there were going to be growing pains. We all knew that there were going to be younger players. We've all seen Gruden steer away from veteran players, right? Al Davis, at the end of his life, wanted veterans because he wanted to win one more time. Totally supported that. You bring in Jerry Rice, Rod Woodson, Bill Romanowski. He's trying to win. You're not going to do it with rookies. And John Gruden, I think, has got these young guys drafted on the team, and now they're all back. They seem to be available, and they're ready to play. 
with the caveat they have pressure on them because there's a couple of people behind them gunning for their jobs. Trayvon Merrick was signed today. Raiders just put out that press release, which is great. So the Raiders have signed their super safety who better start. Okay? Better start. Don't want to hear anything about growing pains, training camp. Get the guy out there. Leave him alone for five years, four years. We'll see what's happening. Now, that was the case with John Abram. Jonathan Abram, but injured, injured, not available. So everybody wanted to have Abram be this guy who would be now playing as a pro bowler. Right? That's what the goal was. First round pick. After year three, you know, you're looking for a guy to play in the Pro Bowl. They went out and got another safety to go out there and play. Uh, Vinny wrote in his column, Leatherwood seems to fit. The Raiders raised eyebrows with the selection of Alabama tackle Alex Leatherwood with the 17th pick. Only time will tell if they reach too far on the former Outland Trophy winner. All right, let's talk about that for a second. It was like the internet broke as I was live on the air for the draft and they drafted Leatherwood. You would have thought that they drafted a backup left tackle from the University of Pacific or from Utah State. And everyone's like, what? He was only the Outland Trophy winner. National champion holding the trophy up with Nick Saban. Holding the trophy up with Nick Saban. And everybody's freaking out, including Raider Nation, who's all freaked out because they're looking on their Twitter feed and everybody else is going, Mel Kuyper Jr., oh my God, what are the Raiders doing? All looks good. Guy's big. He's fit. I was there at both camp days. Looks great. So he seems to be the starting right tackle, and he should be because he was taken 17th overall. So Vinny wrote about that. Then Vinny wrote, and this is Vinny Bonsignor of the Las Vegas Review-Journal coming up at 4, Arnett, odd man out. While the media didn't get to see the Raiders' first team offense and defense work together on 11-11, it was a curious look at Arnett who seemed to do more observing than participating during drills. The signing of Casey Hayward put Arnett on notice that this grip on a starting job was loose. Great reporting, very accurate. I don't need to see Arnett starting if he can't play. I think he can play. He was a first, you know, high pick. He was a high pick. Why was he a high pick? Because the Raiders didn't have a second-round pick. So they took him one because they had him on their board of being a projected starter, and then he wasn't available. With the wrist injury, the COVID protocol, he was gone. And he wasn't able to lift weights and put on muscle, and everything just deteriorated. Okay? My sons have shown me his Instagram feed, which is very interesting. Very interesting because it looks like on his Instagram feed, he wants to have a music career, which is fine. Darren Waller has a music career. He puts out dope beats, and they seem to be pretty good. But for Damon Arnett, I don't know. When my son showed me his Instagram feed, I was like, whoa, let me look at a few more of these things. And he seems to have a really big interest outside of football. An interest outside of football? Did Jerry Rice have an interest outside of football? Did Fred Bolitnikoff have an interest outside of football when he came in? I don't know. Most guys just are focused on football. So Arnett now knows my, I use this favorite term, the wolves are at the door. The wolves who are hanging out the pack way out in the distance are all at the door now, and they want to see what's going to happen with him. More Vinny Bonsignor. Rugs ready to blossom. Absolutely. Great offseason. Put on weight and strength. I mean, a guy bowling 300. 
He's winning the MVP of a softball game, having fun, super athletic, and hopefully he's ready to go. Another guy wasn't available, got injured in the first game, as Coach Gruden talked about. And then uh, Vinny wrote about the rookies impressing in the secondary. They should because they went out there and rebuilt some of the secondary with rookies. So with that column that's out today, you can find that at Vinny Bonsignor or you can find it at the Las Vegas Review-Journal. If you have anything that you'd like to talk about on what I just said for the last 10 minutes, 702-365-9200. We're brought to you by PTs, the best happy hour in town. What a time it is at PTs. When they're an official partner of the Vegas Golden Knights, that means when you go into any PTs, 64-plus locations in the Valley, you know you're going to have Golden Knights fans. You know the Golden Knights are going to be on every TV. Drink specials, happy hour, during the game, the best deal in town. And everybody who's working there, behind the bar, the servers, they're all in their gear. They're all Golden Knights. Golden Knights are six victories away from winning the Stanley Cup. If you can't get a ticket to a game, if you can't go to a watch party on the other side of town, just go to PT's. It's a watch party every Golden Knights game. PT's fuels the monologue as we begin the show. So that's the story. Now, yesterday was John Rahm in the U.S. Open, which I liked. I told you all on this show, I told everybody that Brooklyn would get beat. Hey, I got that one right. For everything I get wrong, I got that one right because they were based on bad principles. But I want to start off the show. Doug Jolly is going to join us at the bottom of the hour, former Raiders tight end. So I want to get this into the monologue at the top of each hour. Robin Leonard. Hopefully people are listening now because I protect on the radio at least like I do, which I try to do with the Raider Nation all these years, is I try to defend Raider fans from fans around the country who hate the Raider fans. It's kind of my legacy locally. That's what I do. And I try to do the same thing with the Golden Knights. Golden Knight fans were getting beat up by Montreal and Canadian fans for having a beach ball at a home game and doing the wave. You know how that went over in Canada? Huh. Not very well. The Canadians think we're a joke. Not the franchise. They know how good we are. The Canadian fans think we are a joke. That we have this special hockey team that have special rules, unprotected players. No, no. We, we took the players that were unprotected, drafted players, and signed free agents and traded players. I think that this organization has been brilliant in the first four years. I promise you that the Seattle Kraken won't be close to the Vegas Golden Knights in achieving what Vegas did. They don't have the owner in Bill Foley. They just don't have Kelly McCrimmon. They don't have George McPhee. I don't think they're going to have the franchise that we have in Vegas. So yesterday I got word that Robin Leonard was going to play. I said, oh, this will be good. Here we go, because I'm the guy that wants to build Flurry the statue in front of T-Mobile and started off with a $1,000 donation. So what am I, a flip-flopper? No, I'm not the coach. I'm not the coach, so who cares what JT the Brick thinks on who's going to start and goal? So Robin Leonard was the last off the ice. A bunch of French-Canadian reporters said Leonard's going to play. Then it went viral, and everybody started to panic. Oh, my God, the season's over. Robin Leonard's going to play instead of Flurry. Well, Flurry had the biggest gaffe of his career in the playoffs. Blew the game on his own. Blew it on his own. With what happened behind the net when he couldn't clear the puck between his legs. All on Flurry, not on DeBoer, not on Petrangelo, all on Flurry. Do I think Flurry can bounce back? Absolutely. But do we all remember here in Vegas, everybody, 
that the reason why Las Vegas had an advantage over Colorado and anybody else they would face is they have two goaltenders who are starters, franchise goalies. And once in a while, they might have to go to one of them. So Vegas is doing that now, and there are still fans who can't come to grips with it. There are still some fans that don't understand that Peter DeBoer is in charge of this team, and he's going to get an opportunity to either keep his job or lose his job for making ballsy decisions, decisions that take brass balls where the coach has to get up and do it. So 19 hours ago, Bobby, before the game started, JT the Brick, at JT the Brick, tweeted, every VGK fan that can breathe needs to get behind Leonard tonight. They are all in it together. You don't have to love the move, but dive in with full support once the puck drops. That's the tweet. And what happened? Leonard won. And he played well. And now you can go back to Flurry. Great. You want Leonard to play one more game because he was great? Let him play. But I think that this will be something we talk about because they're talking about it internationally and around the world that Vegas has a goalie controversy. I don't find it as a goalie controversy. I find it as a good problem to have. So if Leonard didn't act like a great teammate the whole time and he was just blanking and moaning about this, then that would have been a controversy in the locker room. He didn't do that. And if Flurry, Flurry's the greatest. I mean, Flurry's the ultimate teammate. He seems to be okay with it. So we'll see what happens here. I think they're going to win the series now. If they lost that game, they were toast. They weren't coming back 3-1. to one. No shot. Now I think they'll win even if they lose another game. I think it's going to be Vegas in seven. I think the Fortress is going to save their ass in the seventh game in front of 18,300. I think this is going seven because the Canadians have a style that really Vegas struggles with offensively. They can't get speed through the zone. They can't set up their offense. They've been terrible on the power play. It's going to be a grind. Going to be a grind. And, hey, get used to it. So, show started 20 minutes ago. We talked about the Raiders. Let's hear from the Golden Knight fans. What does Vegas have to do to close out this series? What's the one thing they need to do? Coming home. Because Haffy has got the Leonard thing wrong, and I'm in your face for it. Haffy has didn't know it. You didn't want it. You got it wrong, and I'm calling you out. Be a man. Be a woman and own up for it. Come on the broadcast today and thank Robin Leonard for bailing your ass out as a fan, chirping and telling everybody the Golden Knights are going to win, and now Robin Leonard bailed your ass out. So why don't you call the show and thank Robin Leonard? That'd be the right thing to do, right? Hey, Robin, thanks. Way to play great. If you don't play again, we really appreciate that game because we might win the cup because we didn't go down 3-1 because you stood on your head. Leonard. Played unbelievable right out of the gate. Harry gets the puck in front. Big step, Leonard. He jumped to his left. He stopped stall. The whistle stops play. Man, they came out and they were all over him. Vegas could have been down easily 2-0. Easily 2-0 in the game. Leonard stands on his head and gives Vegas the opportunity to settle in and try to get it going. Uh, Montreal comes back. This got everybody nervous, the first goal of the game. Banked up the near boards and out to center. Lead pass, short-handed. Here's Paul Byron down the middle, and he scores! He goes crossbar and in. The penalty time had just expired, but it was, in essence, a short-handed breakaway. Paul 
Byron gets the first goal of the game. At that point in time, I was nervous. Because not because of Robin Leonard. He was playing great. That was a breakaway. You know, give up, it's one nothing. I had no confidence in the offense scoring. I mean, did anybody have confidence in them scoring? So they weren't able to do it. So as they were still stuck in sand, Leonard continued to keep them in the game. Behind the net, centered for Carlson. Knocked away. And Theodore missed the puck. It goes the other side. Here comes left wing Caulfield out in front. Leonard the save. They went down with a stick protecting the five hole. Incredible save on Caulfield. That would have broke the internet. Series would have been over. Vegas done. If he doesn't stop that. There's no way they're coming back to nothing. One nothing, anything could happen. And then finally the defense gets it going again. It's been a defensive scoring series for the Golden Knights. Here's McNabb. Now in the left corner, Carlson looking right. A shot from McNabb. He scores! Carlson to McNabb. He ties it. 9.23 to go in the third period. McNabb's first goal of the postseason, and it comes at a critical juncture. Yeah, that's what's great about this team. They're so deep. Anybody can score at any time, but it's been the defensemen. And then getting to overtime. Then getting to overtime was the biggest moment in the game because a lot of people don't have a good feel about Vegas in overtime. They could end quick. They could end quick. It could end on a fluke goal. We've seen it happen in the past, and Wah bells everyone out. Goes behind the goal, waggles out and shoots, not down in front, Wah stopped, another try, he scores! Nicholas Wah in overtime! He waited and lifted it over the fallen Carey Price. Nick Wah wins it for Vegas at OT, 2-1. to one. The Knights win it, and they tie the series 2-2. Two and two. Dan Duva on the call. Biggest, most important goal in Golden Knights history? Mm, I don't know. They went to a Stanley Cup, so they had some big goals. But this team's better, more expensive. Stone, Petrangelo weren't here for the first Stanley Cup run. This goal, pretty damn important in the big picture. If Vegas raises the Cup banner, I think we'll go back to the Wah goal in Montreal and say that had a lot to do with it. And Robin Leonard and the way Robin Leonard played. DeBoer, after the game, talked about why he didn't go with Marc-Andre Fleury. We wouldn't be here without Flower and, and how he's played for us. But it's a lot of hockey. You know, when you look at the, the numbers in the league, I think he's, he's tied with Vasilevsky for, for most starts in the playoffs so far, and he's 10 years older than Vasilevsky. Yeah, it's a big calculated move by DeBoer, who didn't think it was a big deal going with Leonard because he's the franchise goalie on the long-term contract. Knowing Lenny... Knowing, knowing how hard he's worked, knowing the goalie he is, you know, the gamble to play him, uh, having not played a lot uh, lately was, you know, no bigger than, than the gamble of, of playing a fatigued goalie, uh, you know, with no, no rest really on the horizon. So I just gave you everything I got. I unloaded on the Golden Knights. I'd like to hear from you. 702-365-9200. Are you confident now after that victory they'll win at home in Game 5? Maybe you're not confident. Maybe you think like I do, this is going 7. I think it's going 7. I don't think they're going to win two in a row if they do. Fantastic. But I think they have a 7th game at home for this reason. Monologue was brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence, especially that Vegas win at Montreal, which might have saved the postseason. Remy Martin, raise your cocktail game. Whenever you're out now, any bar, any establishment, look behind the bar and see all the Remy Martin products there. They have several choices for you. Raise your cocktail game by teaming up for excellence. Remy Martin, 
right behind the Golden Knights, right behind what we're doing on Raider Nation Radio. As we kick off the show on a Monday, hope you had a great Father's Day, everybody. Thanks for finding us on a Monday as the Raiders taking a little bit of a break. But there's never a break on Raider Nation Radio. Anything you want to talk about, about the offseason, the schedule, the depth chart will do it. Coming up next, former Raiders tight end, Doug Jolly, who was a really good player. I liked him a lot. Liked him a lot. I thought he was going to be a Raider for a longer period of time. I'll ask him why. Played in the Super Bowl for the Raiders. And I think you'd be pretty shocked at what he's doing now in a good way. I can't wait to interview him. Doug Jolly, haven't talked to him in a while. He'll join us next on Raider Nation Radio. This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. And the best guys are going to play. I don't care if it's Nate Hobbs or Amik Robinson. I don't care what round they came in. We're going to play the best four or five guys, and uh, the players will decide that. John Gruden, and I like that. I like what he has to say. JT, whenever we talk to a Hall of Famer, legend, former player, it is brought to you by the M Resort Spa Casino, the official team headquarters of the Las Vegas Raiders, former Raiders tight end. Doug Jolly joins us. Doug, good to talk to you again. I hope you've been well. How are you? Doing great. Excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, thrilled to talk to you. And I want to begin high school St. George right up the road from us here in Vegas before Brigham Young. Tell us about growing up in this region of the country and how you fell in love with football at a young age. Yeah, I grew up in St. George, Utah. So just north of Vegas, we came, we'd come down to Vegas whenever we could, go to Wet n' Wild, try to go to a you know minor league baseball game or something like that. But yeah, I grew up in the heat. Um, so I was kind of used, used to, used to this and, uh, you know, went to BYU, did well there. And then, you know, was excited to go to Oakland, but I'm really excited for the Raiders to be back in Vegas and I'm excited to catch a couple games this year. Yeah. Can't wait to have you. When you got to BYU, you really developed into a fine player. First team, all mountain West in 2001, uh, BYU always had a high potent offense. Talk about how you grew with that program and developed into an NFL player. I went to BYU as a quarterback. And uh, I was pretty raw, you know. I, I was big. I had a good. I was a good athlete. Had a good arm, things like that. But I was pretty raw. And uh, my offensive coordinator, after I registered as a quarterback, said, "Hey, uh, we're going to move you to tight end. We think there's a pretty good shot you'll play there sooner." So I was excited about the move and, and got bigger and faster and stronger through my years at BYU and and uh, ended up um, starting a couple years as a tight end and, and was really excited. Um, when I got to go to Oakland to play for the Raiders. What was it like having to give up quarterback? I'm sure you were very good in high school. The opportunity to go play in college, was that a tough decision with your family that you're going to have to put it down? Can't zip any spirals anymore, and now you had to fight for a new position. Yeah, it was it was a big learning experience. I really like playing quarterback, um, but I didn't really care what position. I just wanted to play. And, uh, you know, it was a good transition for me. Um, playing, playing quarterback helped me learn how the offense worked and helped me see the field a little bit and understand what the defense is trying to do. So that helped me as a tight end, helped me run routes, you know, picking up whether it was man or zone and find the open spots and things like that. So it was a good move, and I was glad I did it. Doug Jolly's our guest. So NFL Draft 2002, second round, pick 55 overall. 
Give me an Al Davis story. Who was watching you, scouting you? Did you expect to go to the Raiders? Did you expect to go that high? Uh, I didn't know the Raiders were that interested in me. Um, I talked to my agent. He kind of told me there's about a 60% chance of the second round. But there were about four or five teams I knew were interested in me. Um, a couple teams hadn't formed me out before the draft, and I knew they were interested. And, and whenever you go to the Combine and the East-West Shrine game, you met and did interviews with quite a few teams, and the Raiders weren't one of them. So I was pretty surprised when they drafted me. Um, actually, at the Combine, I was leaving the Combine, and I saw a Raiders scout. I, I went over to him. I was like, hey, I wanted to meet with you guys. I didn't get to do it. And I start, talked to him for a minute, and he gave me a hat. And so that was kind of a fun experience. But when, yeah, when the Raiders drafted me, um, I was pretty excited. I had no idea they were, no were going to do it. But uh, Mr. Davis was really good to me. Um, even after he traded me, he gave me an extra interview. And and when I was at the Jets, I saw him after a game, and he was he took really good care of me. And was you know asked me how I was doing, and he said, "Hey, you know we left the avenue. We're going to try to get you back." And he he was always good to me. So and he was always always willing to help coach. I remember my rookie year, I was coming off the field, and uh, he grabbed me after a practice and helped me with my stance and a few other things. So he he knew definitely knew football. And he loved his players, and it was you know it was a lot of fun to play for him. Incredible, Doug Jolly is our guest. So, Doug, when you got to the Raiders, a hell of a team. I mean, going to the Super Bowl, playing in a championship game, a team that was built to be this good. What was it like when you came to camp and saw all these stars and big names that you grew up looking up to? It was pretty awesome. Yeah, I was uh, you know just a little Utah boy and going out to to Oakland and be on a Raiders team with. Rich Gannon, Jerry Rice, Tim Brown, Charlie Garner, Tyrone Wheatley, Bill Romanowski, Trace Armstrong, Charles Woodson, Rod Woodson. I remember uh, the first meeting. I was just kind of an awe walking, watching these guys come in, and it was they were good to me. It was you know there was a little bit of a you know hazing period, a little bit. They you know they wanted to see what the rookies can do, but once you started to to, to contribute and play well, they took really good care of you. So it was awesome to play with those guys and to be able to play my rookie uh, my rookie year in the Super Bowl is something I'll never forget. Yeah, I want to go through that Super Bowl year, and you made some good plays, obviously, and you could open up the middle of the field for the wide receivers, the crossing routes. It was a very elaborate offense. The Gruden principles and Bill Callahan taking over. What would you like about the Raiders' offense? Why were you such a good fit with Rich Gannon in that unit? Dan was awesome. I think he was, at the time he was 40 or 41. He'd been around football forever, and he knew what he wanted from his tight end, and he, he, he coached me up. And, and uh, Mark Tressman and, and Bill Callen were, were the offensive coordinator and head coach, and, and they were really good to me. They, they knew my strengths and my weaknesses, and, and Rich knew um, you know, how I could contribute. And he told me, all right, when we're running this play, I want you to do this and this and this, and he'd get me the ball. So Rich, Rich was really good to me, and he, he got me the ball. And and we had four. We had two first rounders my year and two second rounders, and it was fun for us to contribute on such a veteran team. And uh, yeah, it, it was it was really cool um, being able to come in and, and play with some of those other guys and learn from learn from Rich and those other guys. Doug Jolly, as we wrap it up, so the Super Bowl was a disappointment, but not the season. Any regrets on Super Bowl Sunday? We all know the backstory with Barrett and some of the other players and what happened and the game plan that Gruden had on the other side. But looking back, I was there hosting the pre- and post-game in the press box and the flyover and the American flag, and it's a Raider game in Southern California. So the Raider Nation was out in full force. And as you know, Doug, it was only a week turnaround. You had to play the following week after the championship game. What were some of your memories? Yeah, we, like you said, we only had one week to prepare. And I think, you know, if we had two weeks, I think it, we, we might have had a little more time to change a few things. But I, I think it would have, uh, you know, the, the, 
the Buccaneers had a great defense, and you know, Coach Gruden was their coach, and he knew our offense. He knew Gannon, and so I think I, I think Coach Gruden had some had some uh, advantages on us. He had, he had some inside information, and he prepared them really well. And I think we could go back. I think we would have made some some changes to our offense on the terminology and and some you know make some different audibles and maybe run the ball a little more. But you know, it's it's a uh, it would have been nice to be able to go back and change things. But obviously, you can't. But Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Bucks defense was incredible. Coach Gruden did a good job. Um, I loved playing for Coach Callan. He was he was a great dude. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited that Gruden's back with the Raiders and and uh, see, see him this year in Vegas. Yeah, what do you think about this team when you look at Derek Carr and now Darren Waller? The big question is Waller. You see this guy now taking over the league with Kittle and Kelsey being two guys there, and now Waller is in that group. As a former tight end, what do you think of Darren Waller and his play the last two years? He's really impressive. He's such a big, good athlete, which is just good receiving field. And it's kind of fun watching the tight end position evolve over the years. So I'm a BYU tight end. So, of course, of course I, uh, I grew up rooting for Todd Christensen, another uh, mm-hmm. Raiders NFL great tight end. And, uh, you know, he was catching 90 balls as a tight end long before guys were doing that. It seems like um, tight ends in the NFL are, are much more dynamic. You know, guys like Waller and, and Kittle and some of those other guys. And Kelsey, they're so good. And it, it's been fun watching the position evolve. You know, they're, they're big and they can run and they can block. So Waller's pretty amazing. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to watch the Raiders' offense this year. Doug, tell everybody what you're doing now, your family, what's going on in your life. So, like you said, at the start of the show, I'm from St. George, Utah, and uh, we moved back, and I'm just teaching math at a local high school here and helping coach basketball. So it's, it's kind of come uh, fun wow. for me to come back and uh, relive the glory there. That is so awesome that you're a teacher, you're a math teacher. Walk me through that and how much fulfillment you're getting educating young kids, especially with a subject like math, that some can gravitate and some can struggle. Yeah, it, it's fun for me to be able to get to know the kids and get relation, uh, build relationships with the ships with them and help them um, learn the math and just be able to realize how important school is. And for me to be able to help gag, help give back and spend time with them and with teaching and coaching is really cool for me. And it's you know as a big you know former NFL tight end guy, I get some uh, I get a little more respect than some of the other teachers. I think <laughs> I don't have many I don't have many classroom management issues, so that, that's definitely beneficial. Wow, Doug. Well, it's great for St. George and how close it is to Vegas. Your connection with BYU whenever they come to Vegas and play a game, it could be basketball, football. We see these massive crowds, and I know the alumni department can't wait to have you back down there. What was it like to get your legacy brick from Mark Davis? What'd that mean for you? It's really cool. The Raiders have done a really good job taking care of their alumni, and uh, you know, just just things like that. You know, I can put it up and and put it on the cabinet in my house, and my kids are like, uh, what is that? Why do you have that? And for them to say, oh, you really did play in the NFL. You did play for the Raiders. And, and to have them recognize, you know, the things the alumni have done is, is really cool of, of Mark Davis and, the, you know, the Raiders organization and, uh, you know, that legacy and having the guys come back and be part of it. Um, it, it's pretty cool. So I'm excited. I've got tickets to the Monday night game against the Ravens this year. So oh, wow. I'm excited to go back and come to Allegiant Steam and, and, and see a game. So. That's a big ticket. It's going to be great you're there as it opens up in front of fans. Doug, thanks for doing this. All the best. Great to hear from you again. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you, JT. You got it. Doug Jolly. Nice conversation. Really pleasant conversation with a math teacher. Now close to us, St. George. I just went skiing up there. A couple hours, you're right back. He's going to the Ravens game. Played in the Super Bowl for the Raiders. Played on some pretty good teams. Second round pick, 55th overall. We appreciate 
Doug Jolly coming on. A lot of fun talking to him. You know, you hear these names. I get the list who we're going to have every week. And there have been some names that I haven't recognized from back in the 60s or Noah, but never interviewed. And then you get someone like Doug Jolly popping up today. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Hope you enjoyed that. You know, this is really important that everyone who ever played a game for the Raiders is part of the family. Period. You might not like that player. He's got a brick, and it's at the stadium. I got my brick, and my wife found it out of the stadium. And then my buddy Tom Lydon, who runs the Raider Image at the stadium, went out and took a picture of it, humbled, humbled to be from Vegas. I'm not initially from here, but been here since 96 to have a brick right there outside the Raider Image where I'm going to tell everybody, meet me at the JT the Brick. Once you find it there, hopefully we won't need security around the brick, Bobby, and some yellow cones. Treat the brick nice. Please do. Some say, people said, why don't you just put JT? Because it is a brick. I said, well, you know, the JT the Brick is the radio thing. And if I put my real name up there, no one would know it was my brick. So excited about that. My son wants to go see it before he goes back to college. Speaking of my son, I took him to the fight. Top rank, had some great fights. Saw the Japanese monster in a way fight on Saturday night at the Virgin Theater. That was a great experience to see this cartoon character. He's like a cross between a comic book Justin Bieber and Mike Tyson. Comes out here with his hair and all the girls are screaming. Throws a liver punch and the number one contender goes down like a sack of potatoes. Really impressive to see that. So that was fun being there. Mark Anderson is going to join us coming up here in a little bit. He covers Las Vegas sports here as good as anybody. And then we'll get into next hour. My conversation with Michael Kay, the voice of the Yankees. I talked to him Friday. He has a new book out. He was kind enough to select me along with nine other guys to promote it. So we had a nice conversation about baseball. Oh, today's the first day of the sticky substance. So today's the day that umpires get to check to see if pitchers are cheating because the pitchers have been warned, right? They're all warned. Hey, man, you can't can't do it. If you've been doing it, put away the sticky substance. And I don't mean the stickiest of the ickiest, the greenest of the green. You can do that at home, but you can't have the sticky substance. And it'll be, I'll be, I promise you tonight by the 11 o'clock Sports Center, promise you there's going to be an incident. Not from someone cheating, but from an umpire walking over to a pitcher, pitcher not liking it, manager chirping. That's all going to start now. And supposedly it's not going to tie up the game because it has to happen in between. And they can also ask the pitcher to unbuckle his buckle. It's going to get interesting. What these pitchers, they could have to take off their jersey if they're reaching inside their jersey. That's going to be really interesting to see what happens here. All right, we just had an interview and a long monologue. 40 minutes, haven't heard from a Golden Knight fan. I'm not giving away a two-foot sub or a hat. Okay, we're looking for Golden Knight fans to pretend this is a hockey town. Turn your dial. No one's talking hockey other than me. No one. No one's talking hockey other than me until we have a local hockey show on our sister station. So if you're a hockey fan and you can hear us from San Jose to L.A. to Boston, fire away on the Golden Knights. They're six victories away from hoisting the Stanley Cup. Do you like where they're at or are you still nervous? 702-365-9200 as we continue. And I'm going to annihilate the Brooklyn Nets at some point. You don't want to miss that.
you know what? I'll be honest with you. The, the play at the end of the third period was had zero to do with the decision. You know, I, I just, I think during that 30-something days, the, the last month of hockey that Flowers played, I think we've had uh, only two days, two, two situations where we've had more than a day off of rest. Peter DeBoer coming off Vegas's win in Montreal. Must win. The series is tied up at two. Robin Leonard came through. We're brought to you by Modelo, an official cerveza of the Las Vegas Raiders. Father's Day Sunday, I had a bucket of Modelo's right on the side of the pool. I take a six-pack of Modelo's. I cover it nice. The ice melts in the 111 degrees, and I just pop a couple of Modelo's on the raft. And my kids look at me and my wife and say, look at how happy he is. He lives up to it. He's having a bucket of Modelo's in his own backyard. That's why it's Backyard Brick. Modelo, proud partner of the show. Mark Anderson's great. You know, I think the world of him, one of the best journalists here in town, covering sports, kind enough to join us on Raider Nation Radio. Mark, I hope you had a great Father's Day. How are you? I did, JT. I hope you did as well. Thank you. We, I want to get into the Supreme Court and the NCAA ruling today, but I want to start off with what you just heard from Peter DeBoer on going to Leonard. You know that people aren't handling that well in town. Did you think it was the right decision, even though it paid off? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, you know, you're paying this guy $5 million a year, right? Um, you, you're paying him that for a reason. He's one of the top goaltenders in the league. Uh, and, you know, Flurry is such a big fan favorite that I think, I think uh, you know, people get caught up in their emotions toward Flurry. And it didn't help that Leonard had a really horrible game in his previous outing, but Leonard's played really well, and he was their best goaltender in last year's playoffs. So, you know, I I think if you're going to choose a spot to play him, I, I think that was the right spot because they needed, you know, you can't go down 3-1, and Flory, I think, was tired. I think I think mm-hmm. we've seen that with Flory in the past when he's been overused. He tends, to, he tends to make mistakes, and so I think it was a great idea to give him the day off now. The big question is who starts the next game, and I don't know who you go with there. That's great analysis from you because when you come back, if you start Flurry in the game and Flurry loses because say he's a little bit tired or that that blunder was still in his head, then you got to bench him for good. Then it's Leonard, and the only chance you have to win is you got to play Leonard the rest of the way. I think they're in a good position now. And Mark, we've talked about this in the past. The fundamental, the way this team was built to get through Colorado and all these teams was with two goaltenders. Flurry played great early. I always knew that Leonard would play a game. It's If it's in the Western Conference Finals or Game 3 of the Stanley Cup, you nailed it. He's the future goalie of this franchise. you got to get him some work, especially in a pinch. Yeah, I, I think I think you have to. And, and it's, fun, it's funny you mentioned he's the future goalie, and I don't have any doubt about that. I don't, you know, I... It, it, you know what you're having, you're seeing the same thing from the nights you saw last year, where the, the goaltending's fine. That, that there's really that's really not the issue. It's mm. Their offense isn't there, especially with the Fords. And if they don't win the Stanley Cup this year because they didn't have enough offense, you're gonna, there's going to be some big questions about why are you paying two goaltenders that combined twelve million dollars when you could have spent the extra money in a skater. Um, so you know I think there's going to be a lot of pressure in that regard. Now if they go win the cup then then I think both goaltenders come back next season, no problem. But if they don't win the cut this year, I think there's going to be an awful lot of pressure to move one of those guys. And I would think Flory would be the guy who's moved just because of his age 
and everything you have invested with a long-term contract winner. Uh, Mark Anderson's our guest. What do you think of Raiders' mini camp in regards to the attendance, the inability for them to be healthy last year? Are you buying into everyone on the same page? It seems to be more gung-ho. Everybody who's here wants to be here, plus Gus Bradley's first mini camp. Yeah, I, I thought the, the having almost 100% attendance for for a voluntary uh for the voluntary OTAs, first of all, for, for, forget before the minicamp, for the OTAs, I think it was a tremendous sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because if you, if you, you know, the Raiders players had voted not to participate, but then they did not want to fall behind their competitors because they heard the teams around the league, despite the various votes to not participate, were participating. And the kit was at 95% or whatever mm-hmm. it was to come out. I think that was tremendous. And then, of course, you had everyone out for, for, for a minicamp. And uh, yeah, I mean they're saying the right things, and I do think that a lot of a lot of things are being done. Um, you know, I, I I do like that they they're addressing the secondary and they're really trying to to make improvements there. And um, you know, it's 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 just so hard to tell this time of year until mm-hmm. you really get moving. And um, you know, I I think there's some guys whose whose jobs are on the line. Damon Arnett mostly comes to mind in that regard. You know, they um, you know the the, the Raiders clearly are looking to move on from him or it appears that way since they're not even talking about him in post post uh, practice pressers. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the signs are positive at this point, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's a long way between now and the beginning of the season. Mark Anderson joins us as we wrap it up from the review journal. So for years, you and I have been talking college athletics today, the Supreme court of the United States unanimously affirmed a ruling that provides for an incremental increase in how college athletes can be compensated also opens the door for future legal challenges that could deal a much more significant blow. So I'm hearing about players now can get computers, they could get graduate degrees, but I'm not hearing more about names and likeness. I know you broke this down. Give me your big picture on this ruling. Yeah, today's ruling didn't really address uh, name, image, image, and likeness. What it was about was the, the uh, if, if a student athlete, is, say, for example, is a really good student, maybe even uh, wins a, gets a grant some, you know, based on his, his academics or her academics. In the pre, in the past, that student was not able to really take advantage of that because it was considered maybe they're being compensated for, being, for the athletic part of the mm-hmm. student athlete. Where the Supreme Court said today, no, you can't do that. If 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 a student athlete gets a grant or or needs you know, equipment like a computer for the class or needs to take a trip uh, to help that will help them in their career, you can't stop them from doing that. Right. Um, so that that is a step toward the the NIL uh, uh, and what's going what's happening there, where they will be able to profit off name, image, and likeness. But you know, it's it's the, the days of college athletics, and of course. Frankly, in men's basketball and football, college athletics really hasn't been amateur in a long time. Yes. But it's officially, it will no longer really be, be amateur. You got it, Mark. Big day today. Thanks for coming on. Always appreciate your time. Always uh, enjoy doing the show, JT. You take care. Thank you. Mark Anderson. Judge Kavanaugh, newest, one of the newest members, the last two to the Supreme Court, wrote in his observation, quote, the NCAA is not above the law. The NCAA couches its arguments for not paying student-athletes but the labels cannot disguise the reality. Quote, the NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in almost any industry in America. Look, I've said this before. I'll say this before we come back. 
if you're going to college and getting a scholarship, okay, I'm paying for two kids to go to college. Okay, they they're not playing sports at, at D1. I'm writing that check. That's a check I write. I choose to write that check. Amateur athletes that go and, and play get an opportunity to be exposed on television, their likeness and name. They get an opp- opportunity to get a scholarship, books, food. They get a lot of perks to be there. But now the NCAA, it started off being worth hundreds of millions. Now it's worth billions. And if you're going to make these student-athletes play and you're putting them on television constantly and you're expanding playoffs and these TV suits and the NCAA making money, you have to give the athletes a portion of that money now because college athletics has become professional. My only point is 96% of them are never going to play professionally. So I don't support paying college kids a salary if they're not going to go on to that business. They're not going to be a professional football player. So if you're not going to get paid to play it professionally, I don't want to pay you a boatload to play college and never play Sunday. Now, that rubs people the wrong way. But if you're going to school to be an accountant, you're probably going to go out and become an accountant in real life and make money off your education. And again, if you give these kids too much money, they'll drink it, smoke it, and spend it. Now, some will send it to mom and dad. Some will invest it. You know what most of them are going to do. They're in college. What do you want to give them, Ten grand a month? So my philosophy is pay them a small amount per month. What's a small amount? Three to 5000 a month. It's a lot of money for a college kid, but if you're playing on TV, you got to cap it at some number. You can't give a quarterback 30000 a month and give a backup offensive lineman who never gets on the field two grand. It'll divide the locker room. Everybody will be playing for money and more touches. They're college students. They go to get an education. They should be thankful for it. But there should be compensation if there's billions of dollars of television revenue, and they're the reason we're tuning in. It's been complicated, and now the Supreme Court is involved. The evolution of sports. Big Hour 2 coming up right here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m.